0: Welcome to Lake Forest Davidson. My name is Gray. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It is uh, great to have you with us here. Um, Three days till Christmas. An exciting time of year, yeah. Uh, It's also an exciting day for us today because we're joined by Gabe Swing. Some of you guys, yes. Gabe, would you stand up for us? Some of y'all might know Gabe. Um, He's one of the missionaries that that we as a church support. Um, He and his family are doing work down in the Abaco Islands of the Bahamas. You might have heard of the Abaco Islands, in the news this past September, that's the island that Hurricane Dorian uh, sat on for a few days. And so he and his family have been down there uh, working hard to help people rebuild their lives and rebuild their homes. And it's a, a long, long process. And Gabe has joined us today primarily, primarily because he wants to, uh, to meet and talk to any of you who might be interested in learning about kind of what they're doing, what the next steps are, ways you can get involved or support them. So Gabe, is going to be here during the service, and he's going to go hang out under that basketball hoop after the service. So if you want to talk to Gabe, that's what he looks like, and he will be right under that hoop after the service. So Gabe, thanks for joining us. Um, Great to have you um, with us today. Yeah. And so so this Advent season, uh, we've been going through a sermon series called What Child Is This? So as we anticipate the celebration of Jesus Christ's birth, on Christmas, we ask the question, what child is this? Who is this child? Who is Jesus? And to explore that question, we've been going straight to the source. How did Jesus himself explain who he was? And so during, that, during the series, we've been looking at seven metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself, all in the Gospel of John, and all of which start with the phrase, I am. And today, we're looking at one more. We're looking at, I am the bread of life. So please join me in prayer as we prepare to engage the text. Lord, thank you for this time to come and uh, see what you've written in your scriptures. To learn um, who you are. And I pray, Lord, that today you would prepare our hearts to, to learn something new about ourselves, about you. And that whatever you might have for us in the text this morning, that it would not be merely a good point or a good idea or a nice piece of knowledge or information, but that it would be something that uh, would change our hearts, that it would change the way we see one another, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see you, and change everything. So Lord, I ask that your scriptures uh, pierce us deep today. Thank you for this time to engage with them. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so as some of you may know, I am the, the missions and college pastor here, and a, a big part of my job is meeting with college students. And when November, December comes around, especially for the seniors, a lot of the conversations I have with them are about, you know, what is next? You know, what job are you going to have? And, and it's not only in the seniors, it's also like the freshmen and sophomores. What am I going to major in? And this question of, uh, uh, this uncertainty of what's ahead is a question they'll ask. And a lot of them will ask me, well, well when did you know, what you wanted to do? When, when did you know you wanted to be a pastor? And the answer I tell him is that I knew I wanted to be a pastor in high school. But then I went to college, started seriously doubting Christianity, got really lonely, pretty much walked away from Christianity going into my sophomore year. It was a really dark time. I, I was hungry for something. I, I knew something was missing, but I, I didn't know what. And so clearly a lot has happened between then and now. And one of the big things that happened happened that sophomore fall. A friend in one of my classes asked me if I would go as a blind date to, with her friend to a Sadie Hawkins dance. Yes, they still do those, by the way. And so one of the campus ministries was putting on the Sadie Hawkins dance. And I had, I had tried most of the campus ministries at Clemson, and I was not, uh, not enamored by my experience there. So in, in hindsight, I'm actually very surprised I went, very surprised I said yes, uh, but, you know, I, I think it, what I might have been thinking of is, is this blind date I was going with, you know, she's, she's from another school, and my, my friend's a quality girl, and her friend's probably a quality girl, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm gonna hit the jackpot here, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll pull a lucky lottery ticket, and I'll meet someone special. Maybe that hunger that I felt was for a partner, for a spouse, or for, you know, uh, a special person, special someone. Maybe that's what was missing. I'll go ahead and tell you, this is not one of those, and she's sitting right over there, stories. <laughs> we, di- we didn't get married. I actually, great girl, wonderful girl, but I never talked to her after that, never saw her again. <laughs> However, I did meet someone special that night. His name was John, and, <laughs> and he, he was my friend's date. He and i hit it off that night i gave him a ride home uh, dropped him off at the door and we exchanged numbers (laughs) and and that that friendship grew though and my friendship with with john and his friends god used that to lead me back to faith and so there's there's much more to this story and in the years ahead i'm I'm sure you'll hear more bits and pieces of it but i I, again i I still look back and i wonder man why did i go why did i say yes and I, I fully believe it was the grace of God that, that led me to say yes. Because I, I certainly did not know at the time what was about to unfold through this, through this little random Sadie Hawkins dance. All I saw was the tip of the iceberg of how God was at work, may, if even that. I came to the dance expecting to meet a, maybe meet a girl, ended up meeting a guy, and through that friendship, ended up being drawn back to God. I, I got something much different Much better than I expected. Got something much better than I even knew to hope for. And that situation, it has some some similarities to the one we read about in John 6, just a little bit ago. We, We hear that a large crowd had gathered around Jesus, and they too would end up getting something much different, much greater than they expected. Something much better than they even knew to hope for. And this crowd, this crowd had come to him because they'd heard, in, in John 5, the chapter before, they'd heard how Jesus had healed these people, and then just before this passage, Jesus does the, the feeding of the 5,000, because Jesus had miraculously fed this huge crowd, and so all these people showed up with hopes, <coughs> they gathered some with hopes for healing, that they'd be healed, others with hopes for food, they were hungry, needed something to eat, and everyone came with their own expectations of what this man might be able to offer and so this crowd, again, had all come together, each with, with their own hopes for what this might bring. And then that night, Jesus and his disciples got, in, got into a boat. They were right on the Sea of Galilee there, got into a boat, and they crossed the sea. And then the following morning, everyone woke up, and they were like, you know, where'd Jesus go? Where'd the bread guy go? And so, so they get up, and they, they go search for him. And then they end up finding him on the other side of the sea. And this is where our text picks up. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. So again, The crowd finds Jesus on the other side of the lake, and they pretty much ask him, hey, where you been? Why'd you leave? What's going on? And Jesus says, you're following me because you want to fill your stomach, not because you see what I'm really doing. He tells them, you're missing it. You're missing who I am, you're missing why I'm here, you're missing what I'm doing. I didn't come here to do a work on your stomachs, I came here to do a work on your soul." And again, you know, it was just like me at the Sadie Hawkins dance. They they came only seeing the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus was doing. They came with hopes for bread. They thought maybe this was a guy who can do some magic tricks. But Jesus begins to tell them that he's here for much, much more. That this hunger within them is for more than just bread. And I mentioned that, that Jesus had fed the crowd just before our text. And again, much of this crowd had then followed Jesus across the lake because they're hungry again. They ate bread the day before, and now they're getting hungry again. And that's the nature of bread. It, it fills you up quickly, but then digests quickly as well. Pancakes for breakfast. You're stuffed, and then two hours later, you're hungry again. Or I am, at least. And so, so these people are hungry And and it's important to realize, like, food is not always easy to come by at this time in this place in the world. A little bit of of what Jesus is saying here can be lost on us who read it here in the United States in the 21st century. They didn't have a food line or a Harris Teeter out in the Middle East. So we live in a time and a place now, though, where grocery stores will throw away food, not necessarily because it's gone bad, but because the date on it says so. We aren't really worried about famines cleaning us out and making us leave our hometowns and in states. We live in a time and place where malnutrition rates, they're not zero. People are, there are people out there in the United States still struggling to find food to eat, but they're about as low as they've ever been in the history of the world. We live in a, a time and place where our, there's a far greater number of people facing health issues from eating too much than from eating too little. And this is Looking into all this sent me down a rabbit trail. 200 years ago in 1820, 1820, 94% of the world's population lived in what's called extreme poverty. That means they they lived on the equivalent of $2 or less a day, 94% of the world. And today that number is 6%. 94% to 6%. In 1820, 43% of children born worldwide would die before they turned five. Today that number is 4%. And all the num- many of the numbers point in the same direction, literacy rates, education rates, vaccination rates, they've all skyrocketed in the last 200 years. <coughs> and what's amazing is that the world, the world population has exploded during this time period too, which makes these improvements even more remarkable. And I think, you know, centuries from now, that's one of the things historians will look back at this, this time, is this is, this is a, a segment of a couple centuries where living conditions got so much better for so many people, so quickly. And this is great, right? Everything's good. He had a poll last year asked people all around the world, country by country, Do you, a simple question. They asked them, "Do you think the world is getting better or worse?" Again, all set in the backdrop of the statistics I just told you. Just six percent of Americans said they thought it was getting better. 4% of English, and of course, 3% of French. So when it comes to living conditions, there's no denying the, the numbers scream out loud the world's getting better when it comes to living conditions. Can't argue that point. There's no denying. But we're painfully learning that humanity hungers for more than just good living conditions, more than food, more than water, more than shelter, more than bread. Despite having an abundance of resources and food, there's no denying that we as a culture, we as a society, are hungry. And people might have a lot of different answers to what it is that we're hungry for, but no one is out there saying, yeah, you know, Americans, they're, they're pretty content. They're pretty happy with what they have. Or, you know, Americans, are, they're pretty at peace. They're not anxious. They're not worried about too much. Or, yeah, those Americans are pretty fulfilled. They're happy with their lives. Nobody's saying that. So something, something's not quite adding up. Many of you might have heard that life expectancy in the U.S. has declined for the first time in about three decades, primarily from rising fatalities to, uh, due to heart related issues and drug related deaths. Suicides are up 30% in the last 20 years. And again, I, I tell you all this to underline the fact that there is a restlessness. There's an anxiety, there's a dissatisfaction deep down in the gut of our culture, and and whatever we're trying to do to meet that hunger clearly is not working. But man, are we trying. We try all sorts of things. The the irony of it all is we're desperately hungry in an age of consumption. We'll consume anything that we think might fill the hunger, might fill the restlessness, might fill the despair. For example, we, we feel hungry for Peace from the anxiety in our lives that we've allowed to kind of become the norm, and so what do we do? We we retreat inward from our lives. We we get lost in our phone. We watch shows on TV, both of which will entertain us, but they leave our spirit just as, or maybe even more, tired than we were before. Others of others of us retreat into alcohol, retreat into substances, which again gives us relief for a time, but then leaves us hungry again. It's all bread, fills you up quickly, then leaves you hungry not long after. We feel hungry for respect. We want to be respected. And so we find a job that society respects. We find a paycheck that people will respect. We get a respectable nice car. We move to a bigger house in a more respectable neighborhood. Yet we always feel one thing away from really being respectable, really being respected from arriving. So we're always hungry. It's all bread. Fills you up quickly, but digests quickly as well. We feel hungry for meaning, and we don't even know where to start on that one. We don't know the answer. We don't even know the question we're asking, so we just get busy. We do a million things, and we hope that somewhere along the way, one of those things will actually end up meaning something or will be revealed as important when we look back, but at the worst, we've kept ourselves so busy, at least we didn't have to sit and really think hard about uh, meaning or importance or anything like we feel hungry for admiration, we desperately want people to like us, so we create a persona, be it in real life or online. We, we try and fit into this, this mold of what an admirable person allegedly is, all the while not asking who made the mold, if anyone fits in it, or if we're all pretending, and so then we're never quite really satisfied with who or what we are. We're, we feel like we're inching closer, but we're still always about a foot away. It's more bread, and the list goes on, but the question is what is it that you are hungry for? I struggle with a, a hunger for approval. I follow Christ. I know, went to seminary, I know all the right answers. Yet, yet in my low moments, I doubt whether God likes me. I know God loves me. I know God died for me. I know all those things, but does he like me? I see, I see the bad parts of who I am, and I struggle to see how God could, could not be at least just a little bit disappointed. So what do I do? I eat the bread. I, hung, I hunger for the bread of, of people's approval. Get satisfaction from, from pats on the back and good sermon. And, and people telling me good job, but I don't have to tell you guys, it doesn't last. Fifteen minutes later, someone doesn't say good job, and I'm like, you know, what are they really thinking? And you're doubting it all again. It's all bread. And Jesus tells the crowd, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus tells us there are two two kinds of food. There's food which spoils, which is lost, which disappears, which feeds the flesh, that's bread. And then there is food which endures, food which, which lasts Food that satisfies, food which feeds the spirit. And hear me clearly here. Jesus nor I am saying that bread, you know, food that feeds the flesh is all bad. We got to eat. It's not bad to have a job that's respectable. It's not bad to watch Netflix. It's not bad to get or give a compliment. These these are not bad things. But they're only good for what they're made for. And none of them are made to eternally endure. None of them are made to eternally satisfy. (coughs) Excuse me. Aristotle talked about an idea of telos, or purpose, or ultimate end. So every human activity can have this telos, this ultimate end, this purpose. So so you frame it on the question of of TV. What is our ultimate purpose? What's the telos of watching Netflix? If it's simply because we enjoy watching a well-done show, we like good art, we like good culture, then great, perfect, good. However, if it's because we're trying to hide from something, we're trying to retreat from life, we're trying to satisfy a deep inner hunger by finding rest in a TV show, then we are in trouble. We're we're putting an eternal telos on a very temporary relief. So the question asked is, is what are our purposes in eating the bread we eat? Again, not all all bread is bad, but what are we using it for? What are we filling with that bread? And if, we, if we look for eternal satisfaction in the food that spoils, we'll, we will be filled for a time, but without fail, the dull pangs of hunger will return. They will come back. Then, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the crowd asked, what are the works, plural, we have to do? And Jesus says, the work, singular, is is this, just one thing, the work is to believe, to just believe, and yes, it is just one thing, but the crowd knows that this is not always easy, and it's not always simple, to just believe, and so then the crowd asked him, they said, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So so they're asking Jesus, they say, how can we believe you? How can we trust you? Help us believe. Give us a sign. Make it it clear. And then they reference their ancestors eating manna in the wilderness. And this happens way back in the Old Testament book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. So the Israelites, they've been enslaved in Egypt. And this guy Moses uh, leads them out. From, uh, from slavery under Pharaoh, and they go through the Red Sea. You might remember this, the Red Sea parts, and they, the Israelites run through, and they escape. So the Israelites are free. They're out in the desert, and, they, and then they're like, all right, Moses, what's next? And Moses flips to the last page of his instruction book, and he's like, well, that was the last page. I'm not sure. And so they're just sitting around in the desert, not really knowing what to do, and then they start to get hungry. And you know people get, get uh, a little cranky when they get hungry. And, then, and so they say one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible, because it is so human that it hurts. Again, they've gotten hungry, and they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only God had just killed us in Egypt instead of running us through this whole rigmarole. And then we sat around, there we sat around pots of meats and ate the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They, they say they, they, they'd rather be slaves with full bellies than to be free and forced to put their necks out and trust in God. And I told you, it's so human that it hurts. The, narr- the very next verse, though, God responds not in anger, but in mercy. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And this bread was the manna that the crowd referenced earlier. Exodus 16, it tells us that the manna, it was like white coriander seed. not sure what that is. But it tasted like wafers made with honey. Every morning, the Israelites would go out and they'd collect this manna from the floor of the desert. And it would stay good for the entire day. And it, it, and it, it would fill them, but then it would spoil and rot by the next morning. And so every day they'd get their bread, their daily bread. Every day they'd eat it, and then every morning it would be back. God gave them just enough, and the Israelites survived on this this manna, this bread, for, for 40 years out in the desert. And so the crowd's saying, all right, Jesus, I hear what you're saying about you being the one God has sent. But listen, Moses, that guy fed us in the wilderness for 40 years out of, he made stuff rain down from heaven. It was like Kazam. Anybody seen Kazam? (laughs) with Shaquille O'Neal yeah he may I just referenced Kazam Uh, but uh it rained down bread from heaven and they're like all right Jesus but you you uh you fed us one afternoon with some bread and some fish what are you going to do to prove us that that you're greater than most that, that this is something bigger than that why how how and why should we believe in you and Jesus then said to them Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here again we see another, another time where, where these people are, are seeing the tip of the iceberg of how God is at work. The crowd remembers Moses as the one that provided for them in the desert all those years. Again, this was many years after Moses we're talking about right now. But they remember Moses was the one. But Jesus tells them it had been the father all along. They were part of a much bigger story than just sitting in the desert and staying alive. And Jesus tells them God is on the move again. God is giving the true bread from heaven. Not the manna from heaven which, which would spoil after a day. Which would leave them hungry again the next day. But the bread which endures, the new manna which is good forever, which gives life to the world. And so then they say to him, sir, give us this bread always. And they want the true bread. Sir, give us this bread always. That's, that's the crowd asking for, for the promise of whatever it is this man can offer them that will, that will fill their true hunger. They're tired of being hungry. They're tired of crossing the lake to find something to fill them up for a day. They don't know exactly what this bread is. They don't fully understand it. But but they realize that their bread, their hunger for bread has led them here to something much bigger and more significant than they realized. And we see this throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see how God uses hunger to lead people towards not only a deeper relationship and reliance on him, but towards reconciling relationships with one another. Some of you, you might know the story of Joseph from Genesis, and this is not the Mary and Joseph, uh, parents of Jesus Joseph. This is the Joseph from much earlier, much earlier in the story. So this is Joseph. He has a lot of brothers. You might remember jo- he had the, the, the coat, coat of many colors. Joseph had a lot of brothers, and he, he's the favorite son. And he knows this, and he kind of rubs that in his brother's face, And so his brothers start to dislike him, start to get irritated with him, and so they sell him into slavery. His brothers take him and they sell him into slavery, but they fake that he died. And so they go back and they tell their dad, Jacob, yeah, Joseph died, but actually they sold him into slavery. And so Joseph, long story short, very long story short, ends up down in Egypt where he's placed in in a household of someone in the government, and he rises up in position. And about that time, a famine strikes where where Joseph's family is from. where where all his brothers live, where his dad lives. And this famine sends his brothers down to Egypt looking to acquire some food. Very long story short, it is Joseph that they run into there. He reconciles with his brothers, is reunited with his father. Joseph ends up saving the very family that betrayed him, and it was all prompted by this famine. It wouldn't happen without that hunger. That's what hunger does. Hunger makes people move. Hunger for bread made this crowd move. It made them cross the lake to where they found themselves standing by Jesus. Hunger makes people move. So again, I, I come to the question, are you hungry? Some of us know that it was hunger that brought us here to this gym. Others might have no idea why you're here in this gym. I'd say, maybe today is your Sadie Hawkins dance. Others might have come around for the music or the community, but maybe you just had a toe in and you've yet to really eat the true bread of life. Are you hungry? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Because we're hungry for the bread of life. St. Augustine wrote, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God gave us souls that are hungry to make us move. He made us with souls that get hungry to draw us back to him. The fact that we're hungry is not the problem. The fact that we're hungry is good. It's what we're eating. That's the problem. But this bread of life, this is, this is who, this is what we've been grasping for all of these years, and we finally see that d- despite all of our desperate striving, it wasn't respect that we truly hungered for, it wasn't admiration that we hungered for, it's not approval that we hunger for, it's the bread of life, it's Jesus, that's, that's where the road ends. We read in Psalm 107, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And here at Christmas, a a time where we're filled with so many things, Christ invites us to fill ourselves with him, to fill ourselves with good things, with the bread of life. Jesus tells us in verse 51, I am the the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. The living manna which came down from heaven, not to fill us just for a day, but to draw us in, to finally give us true life, and to be in us and with us forever. Forever. And so as as I said at the beginning, our our sermon series is titled, titled, What Child is This? And that's what it really comes down to. Who is Jesus? It's not, not who does your spouse say Jesus is. It's not who did your parents say he was. It's not who does the news say he is. It's not even who does your pastor say that he is. But who does he say that he is? And then from there, who do you say that he is? Have you taken the time to really look? Have you mistaken the tip of the iceberg for the whole thing? Is he merely just another piece of bread like everything else, another category of our life to manage that will keep us hungry for one more thing, for better music, better preaching, better whatever, nicer building? Or is he the bread of life? the one who can finally satisfy that hunger and the source of all our hope. So I'm going to hand it off here to Michael. He's going to lead us in a time of communion. But before you come, uh, we're going to pray in a minute, and I'm, I'm going to leave a little bit of time before I pray. And, and I want you to ask, ask yourself the question, uh, are you hungry? They, they say you are what you eat, and what have you been eating? What have you been filling yourself with? And here in these days before Christmas, is it time for something more? Is it time for something different? Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for our hunger. We thank you for the the void we feel, for the restlessness, for the despair, for the, the striving, as, as painful as it often is and as discouraging and heavy and difficult as it is. We, we thank you for it because we know it is a a lighthouse pointing us towards you. And we know, uh, we know and are sometimes still learning that you're all that will fill us up. That there's a part of our soul that is made to rest in you. So Lord, uh, work in us. We are good but, but flawed creatures who are so easily distracted and tempted and drawn into into that which gratifies the most immediate of needs. Um, but but Lord, work on our hearts to to follow you. So we, we thank you for the hunger which draws us back to you. In your son's name. Amen.